This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Just a warning before we begin this episode is about a mother being separated from her baby and may be particularly upsetting for some listeners. If, one day, you saw your tiny, newborn baby had a little bruise you couldn't explain, what would you do? Many people, like Holly Kobayashi, would ask a professional for advice. But in her case, that's when her life began to unravel. Usually if I sort of get a flashback or a nightmare, it's that moment of having to walk away from him. More and more babies are being put into care in the first week of their lives. Sometimes, for something as small as an unexplained bruise. Can that be right? There's a feeling that you take as few risks as possible, and that's a very understandable reaction. But what it does mean is that there will be people that are the collateral in that attitude. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today... An investigation. One bruise, and they took the baby away. How did you find out you were pregnant? I felt like I knew I was pregnant. I I could feel it in my boobs. <laughs> um, and I think I did a lot of tests that week because I knew that I was pregnant. I kept... Uh, the test kept saying I wasn't, and then eventually a test said I was. Um, and that was amazing. That's Holly Kobayashi. I am a therapist um, and an artist, and I live in Stroud in Gloucestershire. Holly was thrilled by the news of her pregnancy. I felt really, really wonderful. It was winter, but I felt like it was spring. I felt like there was sun everywhere. Like metaphorically, it was, it was like the sun was shining down on me all the time. Was this something you'd wanted for a while? Yeah, I'd wanted a child for about two years. We came up with his name two years ago. We agreed to try and had had one miscarriage. Um, and then we waited a while after that. And then, and then I got pregnant the second time. Tell me his name. 
What was the name that, that preceded the baby? <laughs> His name is Adventure. That, Adventure. That's a great name. Does he, um, does he live up to it? <laughs> he definitely does, yeah. I was worried he might not. I was worried he might be quite shy or nervous, or, but he's not at all. He's full of confidence and he's full of enthusiasm and so he does suit it, thank goodness. Was it an easy pregnancy? I loved being pregnant. I loved how I felt. I loved how I looked. It was very... I didn't really get any like, physical problems. Um, mm. My husband and I separated while I was pregnant. Um, that must wasn't, have been very hard. Yeah, it was. Um, he wasn't really ready for a child and he agreed for me. But then he could... I don't think he could really handle the reality of it but I really didn't want adventure to pick up any stress hormones from me so I did lots of meditation and lots of ways of trying my best to keep calm as calm as I could so he wasn't picking up on on that yeah for the first time in my life I, I got all of the sort of urge to nest and for the first time I wanted stability I wanted everything to be really clean. <laughs> uh, I wanted to just feel really safe and protected. And I, I really desperately wanted to have a nice, safe mm. nest for, for adventure. But what was he like when he arrived? Uh, he was very uh, beautiful, very wrinkly. He looked like my dad, actually. That was my first thought. That was my mum's first thought as well. He looked like my dad. Holly relished the time with her newborn baby. It kind of felt like uh, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. So when he woke up, I just wanted to be part of that, to be able to provide food for him, and it was lovely. Tell me what happened when he was eight days old. Um, I found a little tiny bruise on him. Um, just on his arm and you, you worry about every little thing I think that's quite normal to worry are they okay so I was worrying mm. about is he bruising too easily is it a sign of leukaemia like is this a problem because I didn't know how the bruise had come so I felt like I wanted to just check in with the midwife and so what did the midwife tell you about the bruise uh, um she, she said that um, she had to go through safeguarding procedures if there's a bruise to a baby. And she started phoning um, social workers and her bosses to try and find out what the procedure was that she had to do. I'm so sorry so sorry to, to ask and to have to go over it again that's okay how how did you feel when she said that I started to feel anxious like it her attitude worried me she I could I noticed that she wasn't leaving me an adventure alone together um, she took all of his clothes off and checked him for other like other bruises or any injuries which there weren't she told me that we were going to have to wait for social workers and we were going to have to go to the hospital and have a paediatrician look at it. 
I mean, what were you thinking at that point? Because you simply asked about a bruise on his arm, which, you know, could have been anything really. And suddenly they're talking about the hospital. I didn't know what was happening. I felt really anxious. I felt like, is it a serious illness? And she's not telling me, like, why would I need to see a paediatrician? It also felt like, why is she talking about safeguarding? I felt really scared. I didn't really know, understand what was happening, but I could tell it wasn't something good. What Holly didn't know at the time was that if the same thing had happened a few miles away in a neighbouring area, there would have been no problem. But a specific policy applied by her local authority was now coming into play. The Sunday Times social affairs correspondent Emily Dugan picks up the story. North Tyneside, which is where this happened, is one of eight local authorities that has a specific policy which says that any baby that was pre-mobile, so not able to crawl or pull themselves up, that had a bruise, should automatically be subject to something called a Section 47 investigation, which is basically a very serious investigation by social services where you believe that a child is at risk of serious harm. Wow. So if she'd been living elsewhere in the country? It's perfectly possible a completely different outcome. And so within a few hours of having shown the midwife this bruise, she starts into this surreal situation where she gets taken to hospital, escorted to hospital, essentially, by two social workers. Holly arrived at the hospital, disoriented, scared and confused, and still weak and bleeding from having given birth a week earlier. Pediatrician examined him and looked for other bruises and um, there weren't any. And then they asked me how it happened. At this point, obviously, Holly is panicking. All she knows is is that she doesn't quite know why the bruise happens, but she knows that nobody's harmed adventure. She starts trying to think of all the things that might have happened, and she thinks, well, perhaps he was perhaps he was holding his arm in his bouncer, and perhaps that might have been what caused it. But the doctor said, no, the baby wouldn't have had a, a grip that strong. And she remembered this moment where she'd been holding him on her lap, and he'd kind of, in the way that newborns do, had this kind of jerky, involuntary movement, and she'd been worried he was going to slip off her lap, but she'd grabbed him to catch him. And she thought maybe it was from that. So I gave, like, an enormous list of, like, like all of the possible things that could have happened. Then they started to tell me that because he was so young, it had to be treated as suspicious because I didn't know how it happened. And they told me that he was going to have to go into care for the weekend. This is an eight-day-old baby. Uh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Uh, oh, Holly, I'm so sorry. Yeah, they said I could disagree, which I did, but that they would have to call the police and discuss it with the police. So the police came, they were really nice, and they said, we won't let that happen. You're going to stay with your baby but the police weren't able to keep their promise. The police couldn't stop us being separated, but they got them to agree that he stayed in hospital and I was allowed to drop off milk. That was the 
agreement so that he would have breast milk. How did it feel walking away from the hospital? I mean, I was quite hysterical at that point. I think it had gone on a very long time, all the negotiations between the police and the social worker and the hospital. And I'd been, I think, hysterical for most of it and I'd given myself um, a migraine. And um, I, had to, I had to actually walk away because otherwise the police would have had to arrest me and take me away. And it was so... So, I don't know how I did it. It was so hard to walk away, um, to leave him. And to just look at his little... Because they said as well that I wanted to be with him all the time. I wanted him to be cuddled constantly for the first three months. I wanted him to just be on me in a sting or being cuddled. And they said he would just be left in this little cot. And the nurse would just pop in every now and then. And I just... I fed him and then he fell asleep and I just had to leave lying in this little cot all by himself and it was really traumatic and that's uh, it's like the moment that comes back to me usually if I sort of get a flashback or a nightmare it's that moment of having to walk away from him <sighs> When that traumatic weekend of separation was finally over, Holly realised the nightmare had barely begun. She wasn't allowed to collect her baby from the hospital. Instead, Adventure was going to be put in care. Holly managed to persuade the authorities to let her brother look after the baby whilst they investigated what had happened. Thought it would only be a week, you know, and I I thought I would just be there all day every day but I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't allowed to see him every day I wasn't allowed to see him for much time weeks in Holly was told the investigation could take another six months how did that feel knowing for six whole months you could be separated while people went through paperwork uh, um, (laughs) very traumatic very traumatic um very worried about him not being able to bond with me properly and us about us never being able to have a good bond and about uh, what if he bonded with my brother. Holly knew there was a chance of the worst possible outcome. She was afraid she could lose adventure forever. The social workers were always very oh what's the word like cynical maybe like my brother said to them you can see that she's a great mum and they would say stuff like well she's not gonna do anything wrong in front of us it was so terrifying it was so terrifying and I just didn't know what decision they were going to make I just didn't know what to I just it would just seem like an impossible that it could have happened, that they could have taken him away from me at all. The hospital wanted to X-ray Adventure to check for abuse, which Holly opposed because she felt radiation was an unnecessary risk to a newborn. 
She believes her refusal added to the suspicion around her. The police interviewed Holly, her friends and family, and found after investigation there was insufficient evidence to support a prosecution. Holly hoped the decision would help, but it appeared to make no difference. In the end, while prolonged investigations took place, the authorities allowed adventure to be cared for by Holly's brother, Graham. But he lived more than an hour away, and over four months, she was only allowed limited, supervised visits to see her newborn, and they weren't every day. At the end of January 2018, more than four months after Holly had first asked an innocent question about a bruise, the investigations concluded. Nothing had been found to show Adventure was at risk of harm, and he was allowed to return home with his mother. Holly believes other factors beyond the bruise counted against her. In pregnancy, she'd asked what mental health support might be available after the birth, because she was worried about the possibility of postnatal depression after her recent split with her husband. Because of the breakup, she was also staying at a friend's house, which meant she could be described as homeless. Holly's traumatic experience isn't a one-off. We'll have more on the rising numbers of babies who are being separated from their families in just a moment. For more in-depth investigations, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Holly Kobayashi was a new mother who was determined to get things right. In a Kafkaesque twist, she was separated from her newborn baby for months after she asked a midwife for advice about a little bruise she'd spotted on her baby. Emily Dugan, the social affairs correspondent at the Sunday Times, had come across Holly and her astounding tale whilst investigating what was happening in the social care system. I was working on a related story uh, last year into the rise in babies being taken into care in their first week of life. And there were some really astonishing figures about how much this had risen. In 2008, roughly one in 400 babies um, were taken into care in the first week of their lives. And by 2018, this had doubled to one in 200. And we know that in 2007, that is when we had the case of Peter Connolly, known as Baby P. Mm. And, and, you know, in that case, Haringey Social Services in North London, they became public hate figures for the way that they had handled that case. This 17-month-old boy sustained 15 injuries in the eight months before he died. And you know, absolutely, there were questions to answer in his case. But what's happened since then 
There has been a change in attitude in social services, according to a lot of people who, who follow this closely, where there's a feeling that you take as few risks as possible, and that's a very understandable reaction. Now, you've been speaking to an academic who's across all of this. Tell me about that. Yeah, so Andy Bilson is a professor of social work uh, at Lancashire University, and he's been looking into this uh, for quite a while. He looked at both the issue of uh, babies with single bruises being uh, taken into care or, or subject to these investigations, but also just more broadly at that, the big trend in more babies and young children being taken into care and subject to investigation. He's examined the policies around the country. And what he found was that in some cases, the wording of the policies is the direct opposite of what the best research in this says. So, for example, there was a Cardiff study in 2015, which looked at bruising in babies that were not yet mobile. And that found that more than one in 20 babies that were not yet mobile had a bruise. And that was a bruise that was seen as, you know, accidental or perfectly understandable. For example, bumping into a mother's tooth, falling asleep on a dummy, banging themselves with a fist or a rattle, um, and in one case, a toy that was dropped on a baby. And yet local authorities are interpreting this research and telling social workers and clinicians that the explanations for accidents in newborn babies should not be accepted. So, for example, in Sheffield, in their policy, it says infants do not bruise themselves by lying on a dummy or banging themselves with rattles or toys or flopping forwards and banging their heads against parents' faces. And that's the policy itself. And yet the best research on this says that's exactly what can happen. Wow. So the policy just seems completely out of kilter with studies. Yeah, and I spoke to the author of this Cardiff study, um, Alison Kemp, and she was quite shocked. I mean, she said that Sheffield's recommendations, for example, were diametrically the opposite to her research findings. And so it is actually resulting in more children. I mean, it's not just caution, but children are actually being taken into care who might not need to be. That's it. And we won't know exactly how many children or babies are affected by this, because you know, the, the figures aren't broken down according to whether it was a bruise or... And we don't have figures, for example, saying whether it was ultimately decided that a baby was safe to return to its family. But what we do know is that we're getting lots of these individual cases that suggest that these policies are having a harmful effect. I think one of the telling figures is how many very serious investigations don't find any harm. So last year, there were 201,000 formal investigations for child abuse under Section 47 of the Children's Act. And these are where you suspect serious harm has happened, where often the child will be taken away as part of that process. Not always, of course, but temporarily measures might be put in place. And of those investigations, only 66,000 turned into a child protection plan. But what this means is that there are 130,000 times where children and families last year were subjected to an investigation that uncovered no abuse. Hmm. Like Holly. Yeah. And 10 years earlier, there were only 87,000 investigations. That's compared to 200,000 last year. And of those 44,000 had a child protection plan at the end of it. So what you're seeing then is that in a decade, you've gone from 44,000 child protection plans to 66,000. But the number of investigations has tripled. That's interesting. So they are catching more cases of abuse that would have gone unnoticed before, but they're also massively increased the number of people who are being put through an investigation for no reason. Yes, And we also can't rule out that every single one of those child protection plans, uh, or rather Holly's case, would make us question to an extent whether every single one of those child protection plans 
was indeed valid yeah and uh, yeah and again perhaps that you know I, i'm sure there would be people who would argue that it's better to be overcautious and to to prevent abuse you know but what it does mean is that there will be people that are the collateral in that attitude and and i guess the question is what level of collateral do people in society feel is acceptable nobody should think that these are easy decisions to make the question is just whether the, the balance is tipping in the wrong direction i mean god it's a tough one isn't it i know god i don't i wouldn't want the job <laughs> no i mean you, how do you live with yourself if you miss a case yeah but on the other hand i think what i hadn't appreciated quite so much until this story is you know the horrendous effects on the people who are separated from their kids Tell me about the moment when you actually got your son back. How did that feel? I remember the social workers telling me in a meeting that I could, and them all being really happy. Mm. And I didn't feel really happy. I felt, I just felt so angry at them. I just felt like, well, what was the point of all of that? Like, you know, it like proved that I hadn't done anything wrong. And so that shouldn't have happened. In some ways, could you understand why the social workers were being so cautious? You know, I mean, they've sort of famously had some terrible cases with young children. I mean, do you think they're sort of just still so horrified that some of those things happened, you know, famously with Baby P and others? So those cases, wasn't there something like 50 injuries noted to the child before... Yeah. They died, you know, it wasn't just one tiny bruise. It was loads and loads and loads of injuries. There was a history had, of it, yeah. It wasn't just one little tiny thing. It's a massive overreaction. I think that it was really disproportionate what they did. I think, you know, they could have just said, right, someone's going to have to just come every day and check on you both. And that would have been fine. Like, you know, they would have been able to pick up on, on things. Yeah, and I know that there are mother and baby units where mums and babies are, go to be observed together. And I kept saying, why don't you put me in one of those? Holly says she's still struggling to cope with the impact of her experience. What is life like now? Are you um, still dealing with, with a lot of what happened? I am, yeah. Before Emily from the Sunday Times contacted me, it would come up in if I was dropping him off at nursery and he was upset, it would bring it all back and I would I would be very traumatised and I would sit in the car sort of having flashbacks of having to leave him in the hospital. And I would just feel awful all day. Um, if he got an injury, which toddlers three now, so toddlers do... I'd be terrified, absolutely terrified, of someone taking him away from me. Sometimes I would just think, I'm going to go to nursery and there's going to be a social worker there and he's not going to come home with me. There's always that fear in me that it's going to happen again. Since she was interviewed for this story, Holly says she's been working through her trauma in therapy. At the time, I wasn't allowed to be as upset as I felt. If my mental health wasn't deemed to be good, I wouldn't be allowed him back. 
so I had to be okay in my mental health. And I've learned recently that I was actually repressing, which I think is good because it needed to come up and I've been having therapy for it and it feels like it's getting easier each time we talk about it. Good. I've been off work with depression since Emily contacted me and I started getting all the flashbacks, but I'm hoping once the article's out and it's all yeah. calming down, I'll, I'll be able to go back. Fortunately, Little Adventure seems to be developing into a healthy and happy little boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's amazing. He is clearly not traumatised by it. He doesn't seem to have an attachment problem to me like I'm he's very friendly with everyone but I'm obviously his favorite person (laughs) just as well good yeah so it has affected me but it hasn't affected him which is really 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 important have you thought about what you'll tell adventure about what happened one day yeah I feel like I'm just trying to not keep it a secret from him so it's sort of something that he don't want it to ever feel like a surprise um to him you know like a shock and I think having the newspaper article will help be able to let let him read it and yeah just tell him exactly what happened what made you what made you want to talk about this now I went through all of the complaints I could with everyone I complained to social services an independent body the midwives, the doctors, and I just kept getting told we're just following safeguarding. They didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't inappropriate. They had to follow safeguarding. And I just felt really powerless. And I feel like Emily has got the power that I didn't have to be able to uh, change things. The professionals... They need, obviously, to take care and make sure that children are not being injured on purpose by anyone. But they need to also be aware that while they're investigating that, the parents might not have done anything and the parents and children need to be protected. Their relationship needs to be protected. You need to find a way to do it that's not causing them harm, that's not causing them to be separated. What are your hopes for the future? I hope that the safeguarding rules are changed. For me, I hope that um, I get over the trauma. I haven't really talked to anyone about it. I still feel like it was time that was a really important time that was stolen from me. I'm still very upset that I didn't get that that really special time with my newborn baby. I'm hoping that I'll be less focused on that, be more aware of all the special time that I've had with him since. What's he doing um, now? Uh, we live with another family and I can hear him playing happily. When I left them, he was pretending to be a, a police car chasing thieves and it sounds like he may still be <laughs> still be a police car. <laughs> good luck. Good luck with all of it and good luck with adventure. I'm so glad you've got your life back. Thank you. Jackie Old, 
director of children's and adult services for the local authority, told the Sunday Times, we have robust measures in place to make sure that children and young people are at the centre of our work and we are proportionate in our responses. North Tyneside said the length of time it took to reunite the family was out of their control. Marion Dixon, Executive Director of Nursing, Midwifery and Allied Health Professionals at Northumbria Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust, said, We cannot comment on individual cases. However, we can confirm that we follow national guidelines and have robust policies in place to safeguard both children and adults who are in our care. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. My guests today were Holly Kobayashi and the social affairs correspondent for The Sunday Times, Emily Dugan. You can read more of Emily's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer was Brenna Daldorf. The executive producer is Poppy Damon and sound design was by Carla Patella. If you have a story that you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.